Welcome back to the Flow Performance Podcast. My name is Ricky Dan, founder of Flow Nutrition and your host. On today's episode, we chat with Surfing Australia's performance psychologist, Tom Greer-Smith. Tom has worked with athletes from state to national levels, whilst also with high-performing business leaders and executives in the corporate world. In particular, Tom's expertise is in worry and perfectionism experienced in performance settings. I first met Tom back in 2014. A lesser known fact about Tom is that he is a weapon of a tennis player, and we actually both met as tennis coaches at the University of Queensland. I'm so grateful our paths have crossed again since he's now working at Surfing Australia, and I cannot express how valuable his knowledge and insights are. In this episode, Tom answers the question, what's the go with psychological safety? Now, this was something I hadn't even heard of prior to speaking with Tom, and it turns out it's a vital concept in understanding why we do what we do. In this chat, we also discuss the effects that pressures and expectations can have leading into performance and how to mitigate them to perform at your best. If you find this episode valuable, don't hesitate to share it with a mate or post it up on your Instagram story and tag the Flow Performance Podcast. Tom drops so much wisdom in this chat, so grab yourself a pen and paper, sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat with performance psychologist Tom Griersmith. Today, I'm back out at the HPC with Surfing Australia's performance psychologist, Tom Greer-Smith. How we doing, mate? Bloody brilliant, mate. Happy <laughs> to be back. bloody brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Um, we'll just dive straight into today's mindset again related question, which is what's the go with psychological safety? Very interesting one. We were just chatting, chatting about it before and I'm super curious. And so I guess this chat is going to be more around sort of the pressures and the expectations we have leading in to performance and the context of performance here might be a little different as well just from surfing. So we have performance in life, performance in relationships, performance at work and that's the beauty of flow state, right? Like we find flow in every avenue of life. So maybe we can just start with your general understanding of what you associate psychological safety with and what it sort of is. Yeah, well, sort of the origins of it is that it's come actually out of really more the defense and medical space um, where there were other nurses, doctors, um, aviators that uh, made mistakes in the field because they didn't feel they were able to tell superiors or peers about a problem an issue that they had, right? So in those high stakes situation where it's literally life and death and we go, well, we'd never do that, right? If, if you see, you know, that the pilot's put on this course and you're going towards a mountain, it's like surely he says, well, no, there's, that, that's definitely happened. And you see the nurse that's um, looked at the um, medication and gone, that seems too much, right? But they don't do it. Why? Well, because we really don't like getting negative feedback as humans. We really don't like getting chewed out, chastised and making to feel like we're an idiot, right? So we'll avoid that sort of social condemnation at all costs, even in those situations where it's life or death, right? So, Which blows my mind to start with. That's incredible. 
Yeah. <laughs> that we don't have the ability. Is, isn't there studies, have you seen the line study where they have, it's like conformity where they have all the people having, there's all different uh, length lines drawn on a board and they have everyone, they're all actors except one person and they're like, they all say the wrong answer and the guy just like conforms to the yeah. other guys just so that he sort of fits in and, yeah. and he actually just straight up lies because everyone else is sort of lying. Yeah. It's amazing. I love that sort of psychology where we just, conform and retreat back to safety right well and and that's it because one there's safety in numbers right and so literally from a a chemical biological point of view is that we have um, sort of this evolutionary hangover that says if you are ostracized if you are on the out in the group you won't survive right because you're not going to have shelter and food and all these important things so our base foundational psychology says don't be a dick <laughs> yeah. or don't be disliked, <laughs> yeah. right? And to an extreme version, that's what depression is to some extent, yeah. right? It's like, hey, let's make you feel really bad or anxiety. Let's make you really get concerned about this and do right by people in that specific sense or we're going to make you feel bad if you're not part of this group or anything like that, right? Yeah. To some extent, right? So the brain is hardwired to have a level of, uh, belonging, acceptance of a group, right? So that's part of the reason why we go, mm, maybe I don't want to say that because I could get reprimanded, I could get in trouble, I could get yelled at, could get chewed out, I could be wrong. And then we start doubting ourselves, right? So big problem in that space, <clears throat> big problem in... Um, in sporting teams and performance situations, right? Because what's the cost of not speaking up? In those examples, it's life or death. What's the cost of an athlete not telling a coach that they're injured? Mm, their career. Yeah, it's definitely happened, <laughs> mm. right? In some ways, their life. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully not, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But in that some ways, what's the cost of a team member, if we look at a corporate setting or any high-performing teams, not telling the manager or the executive their reservations about a potential merger, whatever, huge financial cost, the risks hiring this person or this particular decision, Right. And then what about just the overall, like when you feel comfortable to share your opinions, your thoughts, where you're able to speak freely, what ends up happening in those situations? Generally, there's a lot of creativity, innovation, collaboration, right? So Google came out with um, um, a study reflection that their number one indicator of performance was psychological safety. So now it's become this big buzz thing. And how did they define that? So they define it by <clears throat> if if a individual is psychologically safe, they feel the freedom, the ability to have inter- interpersonal conversations and discussions without the fear of reprimand, right? So they have the sense of safety to have conversations potentially difficult, challenging discussions in a safe environment such that they're not fearful and avoidant of it because of reprimand, right? Now, this is really important because 
what then the pushback you get, especially from coaches or from um, uh, execs and CEOs and leaders is going, well, how do I know that they're accountable? Because is this just safety shit means that we all kumbaya and everyone's happy and whatever. No, 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 right? Yes, people feel safe in order to have conversations. But the point is that it doesn't just stop with you feel safe and you feel listened to and you feel that you're able to do your job. It means that you then push into the accountability space, right? It doesn't mean that there's no accountability, but people get accountability wrong. I think accountability is pointing out what people do wrong. So that's not accountability. That just turns into policing, right? So you get a bunch of coaches, a bunch of execs running around policing people. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do, right? And I certainly don't feel I'm going to perform well, right? So accountability is more about point, uh, encouraging people, more about defining things to encourage them about the positive actions and behaviours than it is about pointing out what people do wrong. And again, a wonderful analogy by our good friend Joan Oliver yeah. says, what do you naturally do when you've got a five-year-old who's learning to ride a bike and he stuffs up? What do you do? You don't yell at him. You pick oh, yeah. him up. Yep. <laughs> Say, you can do it, buddy. Yep. Push him back out. <laughs> yep. And what might you say to him? What sort of instructions might you give him? Um... Try give him a bit of feed, some some um, constructive feedback. Yeah, if they're at the age that they can actually <laughs> use yeah. that, and then encouragement. Yeah, exactly. So you naturally go to task specific encouragement, and you go. You don't go, Johnny. You little piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. If you don't pedal, if you don't do this, yeah. and you don't ride, then there's no bike for you tomorrow. But you would never say that to a five-year-old. You naturally go, put your hands on the, uh, on the things, on the bars and pedal a bit faster and make sure that you naturally give them task-specific encouragement, which is separate from them as a person. Yeah. See, that's when you're explaining all this, that's standing out to me. You've, it, there's two separate things. There's the environment you're creating and then their individual perception of that environment, which... Would you say there's one that's more important than the other? Is there one that has more of an effect, like the environment, let's just say a work environment? Like if they think, if they're going to, you know, if someone thinks if I stand up and, and say something that's controversial or vulnerable, then I'm going to get yelled at. Like if the environment's not there, no matter how good they are as an individual, how strong they are, they're not going to step up and speak, are they? So is there one that's more important than the other? Are they interrelated? What are your thoughts on that? So there's the culture that you build with the individual, uh, with, sorry, with the team, with, with the organisation. And then I'd actually take that psychological safety with the individual and work on that individually. So let's break that down, right? It's like from a cultural piece, we've just described the problem with people not feeling safe to speak up. There are dire consequences, right? The benefits are higher performer, high, high productivity, more creation, more innovation, overall general sense of well-being, right? So how do we set that up in a workplace, right? So yeah, we've got to build a sense of trust, a sense of safety, right? A sense that we do have the freedom to speak. And I think one really simple way to do that is let's separate focus on the individual and focus on the task, right? It's like instead of going, 
Ricky, you've stuffed up, you're not meeting your KPIs, you haven't done this, there's something wrong with you, blah, 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 and it's all about you, right? That's very – because then you just get defensive and you go, well, I'm not going to ever come to you with a problem or like, you idiot, why would you not fix this yourself? You're not going to do it again, right? But if you come to me with a problem or something, you've made a mistake or whatever, it's like, great, let's look at the specific task and how do we – how do I naturally encourage you to do the task better? Now, there's... Go back to Johnny analogy. That's right. Exactly and and I guess there. it is sort of like this 80-20 rule of, of accountability. It's like if you're completely wrong, if Johnny's sitting looking the other bloody way on the bike, be like, Johnny, you got to front, you got to look forward, right? So, so it's... But still, that's constructive feedback. That's... But, but it is, if they're so far off, then yes, it is sometimes you got to point out when they are so far off. Johnny's facing the wrong way and he's doing a handstand. But my argument would be that's probably back on you then. If you're the boss and your employee or something is so far off, that's probably like a higher problem. Like Johnny might be one and there's no chance of him riding a bike, right? Yeah. So maybe you need to actually assess the... Well, I mean, and that's a whole other conversation (laughs) about being... I mean, that is a big thing about role clarity. And I do a lot of work with CEOs about does this person know exactly what's expected of them? Because if Johnny's one, he can't be riding a bike. So for right? this case, let's assume they're in the so right role. So let's assume we're in the right role, right? Yeah. And, and let's, if we go to like the sporting analogy, it's like if the, um, you know, if the fly half in rugby, if um, the centre in, in footy is their jobs to kick the field goal, right? If you then set up and go, hey, it's 14 all, it's grand final, don't mess it up. If you mess it up, your country's going to be disappointed. You know, you saw that stuff happen with um, Beckham in, the, in that documentary and like that, the country and often. But if you set that up as the culture and, and you see this a lot with, with coaches and you go, you need to be accountable for your actions. I'm going to hold you accountable for it. You need to take that shot. You need to make it and whatever. It's like how motivated first is Johnny the footballer to do it? I don't know. Where's his focus, right? His focus is going, holy shit, if I mess this up, I'm going to get chewed out, right? Um, so he's not at all focused on the job he's going to do and he's probably pretty reluctant to even take the shot because he's concerned and, and fearful of the expectations. So there's this whole sort of poor performance trauma that comes in there if he's missed it before and got, got chewed out before. So all that's going on, right? The problem is the job, his job has inherent risk. High performance is a risky business, right? If we take surfing, for example, you've got the ocean. Unpredictable, right? No one can predict what's actually going to happen once the wave breaks, right? You give it the best shot. There's judges. Don't even need to go into the judging of the WSL, but it's problematic, okay? (laughs) It's problematic, right? And so you've got one of the like least controllable environments, literally being the ocean, being like, who knows what that's going to do? And you make your best guess and who knows what the judge is going to do, but you give it your best. And we want that athlete to completely tie their sense of self and worth to the outcome of something that they have very little control over. That's not safety, right? And if we're at the coach saying you've got to perform and, and execute when you don't have full control over it, you're setting up a, a very difficult experience for them, right? 
That's very different to saying, hey, your job is to take the shot, right? That's not who you are. Your, your job's to take the shot. It's mm. risky. I believe in you. If you don't take the shot, then sure, I can come down hard on you, right? But see where the emphasis is there? The emphasis is on doing your job, not whether you execute it because you don't have full control over whether you execute it, right? So if you're not taking the shot for some reason, then let's have a chat about that. But then that athlete now has all the safety to go and do their job. Coach isn't going to come down hard on me if I miss. That's my job, to take the shot. If I make it, great. If I don't, he's probably, hopefully, going to tell me some wonderful constructive encouragement around what I could do better, you know? Maybe you need to be a bit deeper because they charged it down, right? You know, maybe you need to actually wait till you're 20 metres out instead of 55 metres out, right? That's telling Johnny how to pedal better. That's a very different setup. Now he's got all the safety and then the freedom to take the shot, right? That's a very different setup because a lot of athletes, when they come to me, if it's in a group set, if it's in a team setting, they're going, yeah, well, like, I'm freaking scared to make decisions. If we then look at that from an individual point of view, it's like that's what we end up doing to ourselves, right? Why so many surfers in particular and athletes go, I'm scared of making decisions. Well, yeah, because you've probably learned the consequences of making a poor decision. But if you've set up internally in your dialogue that you have to make a good decision, well, how are you different to that over-policing coach or, or employer that says you're not allowed to make a mistake. Well, you don't have full control over over the execution exactly of that, right. right? If anything, they're putting the focus on what's out of their control, the, yeah. the, the outcome. So let's create some internal psychological safety so that we talk about like their internal coach, right? Their internal coach says, hey, your job is to take a risk. Your job is to make the decision. That's what, that's what Jonah says a lot as well is just do what you know what to do. And I'm going to probably paraphrase this, but he also says like big performances are just, um, oh, I'm going to stuff this up. But he says like they're ordinary performances on a special day. On a special day. Is that's that his, his little That's his saying, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he goes, yeah, the coach comes in, they give it a bunch of rah-rah and then and you got to perform better. you got to do this. And you're like, it's already a heightened day. It's a special day and you want them to lift. Well, it's, it's not appreciating the fact that there's a reason why they got to the special day to the grand finals. They performed pretty well. So let's acknowledge that you did all the right things to get here because there's already this elevated um, internal experience with the arousal level increase because it's really freaking important to you. And let's make put even more pressure. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, right? Yeah. Let's just go a normal performance, which means let's acknowledge all the wonderful work that you've done to get here. Clearly, your normal best is very, very good. So we want your normal best. But let's also acknowledge it is a special day. It's a grand final. And there's going to be some extra stuff. Yeah. I love that because he's, um, with my brother being a pro golfer, he's done a bit of work with him. And I was lucky, lucky enough to meet him at the Oz PGA last year on the range. And he was just, he was phenomenal. But for some reason that stuck with me. And I use that so often if it's a presentation or my own in my own relative sporting achievements. Like it's just a... Uh, normal performance on a special day and it, it also sort of ties into that like the difference between confidence and competence mm. and how you were saying like yeah. you don't need to have all these feelings 
to be competent, you can be competent without necessarily feeling confident. Yeah. And well, I, I love that. Like it's just... Yeah, one way to feel confident is to get wonderfully competent at something, mm, right? And yeah. I think a lot of times when people say that they're feeling confident, what they actually mean is they're competent, yeah. right? And confidence is a fleeting experience. It's It comes and goes and it's subjective and whatnot. But let's actually acknowledge that you're highly competent at a certain skill because you've done the practice, you've done the reps, you've been here, you know how to surf, right? And it's an ordinary day with a wonderful performance. It's just more, sorry, it's a special day, but let's do that ordinary, your ordinary best because your ordinary best got you here. It's pretty bloody good. Yeah. Right? That's, I love that. So how can, so sort of retracking right back to the start, how can sort of ordinary people, I know you have a big um, focus on that for underlying understanding, but let's say they've got that understanding now. Are there any little tools that people can use to get into that frame of mind as they're entering a potentially nerve-wracking or anxious sort of experience? Is there any tools they can sort of implement? Around um, sort of like the decision-making yep. aspect. and yeah. Yeah, one thing that I really like saying to my surfers is just going, sure, some waves, it's probably good to be on them, right? <laughs> sure. And just the way you said that. Sure. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's some waves that are better yeah. than other. But the thought of going, there are no wrong waves. They push back and they go, what? There are no wrong waves. It's like, no. I'd probably push back on that. Okay. What do you mean by that? Fundamentally, believing that there are wrong waves sets you up to be consumed by the possibility of there being a wrong wave, right? So you saying that there are wrong waves creates a whole lot of anxiety about making the right decision. So are you just talking about reframing it? So... There is going, but as soon as you get on the wave, there cannot ever be the wrong wave because oh, it's already okay. done. Yeah, right? I'm with you. you've yeah. got to surf it, right? So simply, it's saying that, well, some waves obviously are going to make you shine more than others. Some waves are shinier than others, right? But let's just get you shining, regardless of what wave you're on, right? And obviously the difference between winning and losing or, or winning a world championship is, yeah, you get on some bloody shiny waves. But, but fundamentally thinking that there are wrong waves is wrong, right? Because it just sets you up to be wonderfully consumed. And it just takes that pressure off. Like yeah. When you just said that, like you just feel that release of like, okay. Yeah. And then it focuses once again on the things that they can control and it's probably just going to be easier to make that decision. Yeah, right? let's just get you shiny. Mm. Right? Yeah. Have you got any other analogies for that aren't sort of surfing? Like how can we sort of approach that if it was um, decision-making sort of in the workplace or I don't know, would you use sort of the same concept? Um, yeah, like you, you can go into depth of going like kind of what we said beforehand around the, the safety aspect is you can review it and go, well, did I or the other person do their job or they completely off, yeah. right? Well, if they did their job, then is it a part of that they could do something, tweak something a little bit better? Or what we talk about is what was your level of commitment, right? Because you have 100%, 100% control over your commitment towards something, right? Especially if it's difficult against adversity, right? So 
let's go, well, this is going to be difficult, but my intention to do this is, is this, and let's commit to it, right? And it's more about that how we want to do something than the what, right? Let's really commit to, um, you know, being highly engaged in this, in this discussion or, or whatever, right? And once again, then just accepting that other things may happen. You may have other things pop up, but just commit and accept. I yeah. Kinda, I like that. Yeah. So you, because we need something to focus on, mm. right? So it's like... You're never going to find flow state if you don't have... That's one of the things that um, Chick sent me higher, like the, the godfather of flow. He says you need clear, crystal clear goals to yeah. be chasing or you need to know exactly what you need to do to get into flow state. If there's uncertainty there, you won't find it. Yeah. That's essentially what you're saying. And I think some people get a whole get quite, quite consumed by the what. Yeah. It's like I, I want to, um, you know... I want to be on the best wave or I, or I want to do two big turns or something like that. It's like you have a high degree of control over that but not 100%. But let's think about how you want to go about that. Well, I want to do it with a high level of commitment, right? My intention is to hit the lip with a sense of criticality or explosion or whatever, right? Intensity. So I want to be highly committed and I want to be highly explosive or something like that, right? So the how is really important. And I think that helps us move through the what a bit better because we can control the how, how you want to do, how you want to show up, right? How you want to go about it. The what, not so much fully in control of that, right? Yeah. Once again, it's just little... Little shifts in, in what you... It all comes back to focus, right? Like, what are you focusing <laughs> yeah. on? Like, that's yeah. the common theme in the last hour what we've been speaking about. It's, and that's why I love your little slogan on what your job is, is just getting them to focus on the right things. But you're, you're right. It's having that understanding first on what should I be focusing on and then implementing the tools necessary. Yeah, I mean, focus it's, is easy if you could just job, focus <laughs> on the right thing. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is the brain wants focus to come internally. goes, hey, what about all these other things? And so that's where the other work goes is how do we free ourselves up to focus on the right thing at the right time? Oh, mate, it's an area that I'm just genuinely so fascinated in. And, you know, I, I love flow state, especially in action and adventure sports because they, like, force you into that state like if you're not in that state you're going to hit the reef you're going to break an arm on a big snowboard kicker and and recently i've been working a lot harder on my flow state in work environments so like when i'm reading and writing because i just get very easily distracted and there's it's a totally different type of flow state but it all just comes back to that focus and a little thing i have written on my computer is where um, energy goes focus no where focus goes energy flows and that's what I just sort of like try and tell myself. So if you're focusing on, even if it's just that negative emotion with the um, the chess analogy we were talking about, like. And I think let's be specific on focus as well, because people think that they then should be able to just focus for extended periods of time. It's like, well, we know that, um, especially if you're talking about creativity um, in the workplace and yourself, it's like over that sort of 40-minute mark, we see focus really go down. So you're not going to be able to focus for long, long periods of time. And then 
in other situations, it's like really short bursts of focus. So I think what's key for people to, to think about is it's not so much how long you can focus for, which obviously you can do some wonderful mindfulness activities that, we, that have been shown to strengthen neural connections in the prefrontal cortex there. So it's actually strengthening like you would be lifting. So you can go and do that. That's great. But it's more about can you refocus, right? Because you will get distracted. So work on your ability to refocus. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of research around that, like how long it takes to get back in to that state as well. Once you have even just a notification pops up on your phone and you just exit that state and then getting back in. I know there's a lot of research happening in that space, but yeah. Oh, mate, I, shit, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> I am very cautious of your time. You've been yeah. so generous with how much you've had today. Um, so we might have to leave it there, unfortunately. But, mate, can't thank you enough for your time today. All of your insights here are unbelievably valuable and I know the listeners will be thinking the same thing. So My pleasure. Really appreciate that, mate. And if anyone does have any further questions... Uh, don't be afraid to hit us up on Instagram at Flow Nutrition with an underscore, or you can send Tom a message at TGS Performance Psychology. Go and check out that page. Got some really cool stuff up there when he's working with his surfers. Um, and yeah, just love the work you're doing, mate. And it's really cool to sit down with you. So I appreciate it. Likewise. Beautiful. We'll catch you all again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Flow Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat and found loads of value that you can use to fuel more flow state in your life. If you did enjoy the content and want to support the podcast, don't forget to give it a five-star rating, leave a review, or even better, share it to a mate, post it up on your Instagram story, and tag Flow Performance Podcast. We really do appreciate any support in getting this content out into the world. So thanks again for tuning in and we will catch you again next week.